Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we look at the wide and wonderful world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including Ford patents information systems that detect danger at level crossings. SUVs are taking over the world and adding to its problems. NASA aims for more detailed information on air pollution and Toyota vacillates on EVs versus hybrids. We have some Vox Pops from our listeners on their motoring experiences, and in our feature story, an interview with Alan Zervis, we look at our recent experiences in coping with modern car screens and information management, including a digital interruption in the middle of our chat. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au, or you could leave a message for us on some of your experiences or what you might like the program to address by giving us a call on 02800034295. And as we are considering our 40th anniversary at our home station, why not email us at feedback at drivenmedia.com.au. This program was originally broadcast on the 11th of April 2023, and we began with the news. Ford has been granted a patent in the United States, which they described as systems and methods for determining passage status of a train at a railway crossing. It is aimed at getting signals from the detectors at the level crossing and sending them to any nearby Ford vehicle. Ford filed the application in September 2021. The system is based on a level crossing having two detector points, one on each side of the rail line on the approach roads. Because the sensors are offset by facing their particular line of traffic, the system can determine that the train has fully exited the crossing or tell whether the locomotive has come to a stop, begins reversing or is out of the way. Ford also described a second concept. Sensors, such as cameras or LiDAR in the vehicle, would be able to detect the crossbar or warning signs at the railway crossing to know if a train is coming, in a similar way to cars being able to detect the speed limit from signposts. While not every car might have this system, it is likely that new cars in the future will be able to share information, and so the patent addresses sending advice to nearby vehicles. ABC Radio National Program, Blueprint for Living with Jonathan Green, recently covered the issue of how traditional sedans are being replaced by SUVs and utes, a subject that we have mentioned many times. They quoted International Energy Agency figures that said SUVs made up 46% of all new car sales in 2022. The agency estimates that some 330 million SUVs are on the road now, and in 2022, it is estimated these vehicles emitted almost 1 billion tonnes of CO2. This equates to the combined national emissions of the UK and Germany for last year. The program interviewed Brent Tudarian, an expert from Canada. Overdrive recorded a speech by Brent in Australia some five years ago where he said, My goal with every city and my style is what I call constructive candor. We have to be willing to tell the truth on these kinds of things uh, if we're going to progress. And I say not to tear down, to diminish or to deflate, but to challenge and inspire Uh, And that's where the constructive part comes in, because I don't like cynicism, I don't like people who just try to tear things down to make themselves feel or seem smarter. 
This is about our cities actually making progress and faster progress, frankly, than we've been making. So when I think about all the transportation planners and professionals and participants in this room, uh, I keep coming back to a sort of a fundamental truth. To understand traffic in cities, you have to understand cities and people. And one of my great observations, great uh, in the sense of important observations, uh, has been that we've been letting our cities, uh, from a transportation perspective, be designed by people that I am convinced don't understand cities. They may understand car movement as a geometric exercise, but they don't understand cities, and they don't understand how people behave when conditions change. And I certainly see lots of evidence of that when I see how traffic models are constructed. A NASA instrument to provide unprecedented resolution of monitoring major air pollutants down to 10 square kilometres has been launched. The Tropospheric Emissions Monitoring of Pollution, TEMPO, instrument further progresses the way scientists observe air quality from space. TEMPO's observations will include ozone, nitrogen oxide, sulphur dioxide and formaldehyde, not only over the continental United States, but also Canada, Mexico, Cuba, the Bahamas and part of the island of Hispaniola. By focusing down to relatively small areas, it can provide scientific analysis of rush hour pollution, the potential for improved air quality alerts, the effects of lightning on ozone, the movements of pollution from forest fires and volcanoes, and even the effects of fertiliser application. From its geostationary orbit, a high Earth orbit that allows satellites to match Earth's rotation, Tempo will also form part of an air quality satellite virtual constellation that will track pollution around the Northern Hemisphere. This includes South Korea's Geostationary Environmental Monetary Spectrometer, the first instrument in the constellation launched into space in 2020 and measuring pollution over Asia. And there will be the European Space Agency's Sentinel-4 satellite, which is scheduled to be launched in 2024 and will make measurements over Europe and North Africa. Toyota continues to waver in what they say they intend to do about how far they will go with full electric vehicles and the potential for hybrid technologies. They recently announced plans to greatly increase the electric part of the range of its future plug-in hybrids, expand hybrid sales to emerging markets, but in fairness also develop new generation EVs with double the range. Toyota's executive vice president in charge of product, Hiroki Nakajima, said that plug-in hybrids are the practical EV, and it plans to extend the EV mode driving range of plug-in electric vehicles beyond 200 kilometres. Plug-in hybrids, if the charging of the battery is kept up, can currently do 30 to 60 kilometres on battery alone, which can account for a reasonable number of local trips. The petrol engine kinks in when the battery charge gets low. The problem with this setup is you don't have to charge them if you are prepared to wear the cost of petrol, or simply can't find time or effort to do so. This was found to be the case in the UK, which subsidised their purchase price. It may become necessary to detect if a vehicle is running on batteries in an ultra-low emission zone, for example. And that has been the news. Feedback time. We put up a couple of posts on our Facebook page and Instagram site about early Land Rovers. 
and this prompted a message from a well-known character on this station. Greetings, David. Sharon Thompson. I'm an avid listener to the Overdrive program on Saturdays on uh, on Northside, and I was remembering noticing a post on your Facebook page, Overdrive City, about old Land Rovers. I learnt to drive on one of those old Land Rovers. We lived on a farm up in Coola in uh, the Central West, and uh, it really equipped me for driving on country roads generally, but uh, again, a bit of uh, car control, etc. Uh, good memories. I also noticed that Northside is coming up to a 40th birthday, a 40th anniversary. So best wishes to all uh, at Northside Radio and may you continue for another 40 years. And in the year of our 40th anniversary for our home station, we are also asking people to remember their early experiences of the cars they owned. Alan mentioned last week about his difficult time with an Alpha, but he wanted to add that not all his experiences were bad. G'day David, Alan from Artarman here. 40 years ago, I was in my early 30s and at the time I was driving a Mazda 323. It was a very reliable car, especially after my previous Alpha Sud. And I remember my wife and I drove the mighty Mazda to Port Douglas and back over a four-week holiday in 1982 and it never missed a beat. And my motto was, you just put fuel in it and you service it and you never have to worry about it. What was your early motoring experiences? Did you love or hate a particular model? Did you have an adventure or just a holiday that the car made a difference? You can leave a message on 02800034295 or email us at feedback at drivenmedia.com.au. You're listening to Overdrive. During this interview about technology and cars and how they try to make it easier for you, including doing things automatically, you will hear how the voice actuated system decided to be part of the conversation. You're listening to Overdrive. Most car companies now have a new measure of how good their vehicle is. It's not just the power of the engine or the speed or the acceleration. It's the amount of screens that they have in front of the driver and, and to some degree, the passenger as well. There's those on the dashboard, there's those in the centre console, the infotainment system, and the heads-up display. But is it a matter of not just how much information, but how good the information might be? To talk about that, we have on the line our good friend from Gay Carboys, Alan Zervis. G'day, Alan. G'day, David. How's tricks? Pretty good. And so I really want to ask you the question, is it not a matter of size, but what you do with it in terms of the screen? I've always said that, David, and not just the size, but the noise. If the car's got a bong at you, it's got to tell you what it's bonging about. That's the point, isn't it? It's the communication of it. Now, you would raise the point, too, that you don't want it be, to be too alarming, do you? If you are alarmed, you want to know what the alarm's about. So you don't want big flashing things that make you steer off the road in the night. But if you get an alarm, you, you want to know what you have to do to remedy it. If, for all you know, it could be something wrong with the car. Yes, if it goes buzz, 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 you are alert, but you're not aware. You don't know what to do about it. Now, you've been driving a new Polestar performance model. We'll come to that. But 
You had a problem with a noise from it. What was that? Well, I thought it was another noise that was one of those unexplained things in cars, you know, a seatbelt rattle or a dashboard rattle or whatever. It was incredibly high-pitched and oscillated. I couldn't work out what it was. It took about an hour, and I finally, as a last resort, tried all the window switches, and the passenger window must have been down a fraction of a, of a millimetre, just enough to allow a whistle on the window to vibrate. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was extraordinary. I've never heard anything like it. But I didn't know what it was. And there was no warning. And I, it didn't sound like it was coming from, you know, a natural something from the car. And I was afraid there was going to be something fall off. It was hard to identify what it really meant. What did it sound like? A very, very, very mad bird. <laughs> so high-pitched, it was a high-pitched chirp. That's what it sounded like. I had the situation, I think I may have mentioned in the past, of driving a Peugeot convertible. And this is a little while ago. I hopped in the car, drove it, and it started beeping at me. I couldn't work out what was wrong. I got out and slammed all the boot and the doors shut and even the bonnet checked. That was right. Eventually rang up Peugeot and they said, have you checked that the convertible, the roof was fully back in position? Now, the kids have been playing with it, I guess, not while it's on the road, of course, but while it was parked. And, of course, that was the problem. It hadn't clicked that final bit into a locked position now, it's nice to have the warning, but when you didn't know what it was about, it was frustrating to say the least. I had the same problem. And do you remember those old uh, IS Lexus convertibles, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago? Hmm. And I had the same problem with it. It kept saying roof action or something not complete. And I tried it both ways and it still wouldn't complete. So it turned out that I had to open the roof all the way up and then close it all the way down again. You couldn't just hit it a little bit. That's the equivalent of IT turn the machine off and on again, isn't it? it? It was almost like something had folded in a way that it shouldn't have and was preventing it from closing. And just trying to force it down further wasn't uh, wasn't getting me anywhere. But either way, I was amused and it took about an hour to sort it out. It didn't occur to me to open the roof right up. Do we need to take an approach with the screen space that we now have available similar to those message signs that we have on major roads which give a descriptive message, perhaps not quite enough, but sometimes enough and certainly gives you an indication of saying accident ahead. And so we have the same idea about screens where they don't just flash a little symbol, which you've got to try and work out what that symbol means, but actually with digital screens start putting up a sentence that gives you an idea far more accurately points you to the problem. Well, I think that's a good point, but there are screens that already do that on startup. So they put up a big message saying that the driver must pay attention to the road and not the screen or something along those lines, and they will not proceed unless you press OK. Now, if you keep getting the same same message and you just have to press OK to clear it, it becomes habit to just press it without reading it. Yeah. So I, I think like we've been in cars, for example, that warn you about cameras or that warn you about speeds or that warn you about school zones. Once might be sufficient, but if you drive around the city, you get it every few minutes, it becomes annoying. So there's a balance between the amount of information and at what stage does that information become an overload and you it annoys you so much, you simply can't look at it anymore. 
That's a classic of the truck driver who keeps getting beeped at it to the point of distraction and frustration, so you turn it off. There's the same principle in trying to talk to children. <laughs> and many adults, <laughs> one might argue. The pollster has a system that both links to and is uh, centred around the familiarity of Google. Does that help? It does help, and I think it helps in a couple of ways. So when I get into a, a Polestar or indeed a Volvo, I sign into my Google account and the operating system, the, the interface between the driver and the, the car is Google. It's a Google Auto OS. So not Android Auto, it's a Google operating system. So for example, there's no radio as you recognize it. There's no Everything is apps. So if it's app-based like it is on your phone, so if you have an iPhone or a, you know some sort of Android phone, the, the way this works computes in your mind already and you just have to know that you, you, you'll swipe a certain way and you get used to that after a couple of minutes or you just uh, go to the home screen and that's where all your apps are, including things like radio, Google and your maps. And the maps, the navigation system, is Google Maps. Hmm. So it's it's extraordinarily useful. And if you use the Google system that's inbuilt, it will navigate you, say, to a charger in this case and prepare the car for fast charging. As you know it was an expression you used, and that becomes critical. Now, for example, people may not be familiar with Google. I wonder, given digital technology, whether we might not have options of the old-fashioned car that, as you know it, well, there's a button for radios or there's there's a, a screen equivalent of a button that you know, looks like a button that maybe there's an opportunity for you to not only personalise it but perhaps have a number of standard approaches to looking at how you interface with the car. Absolutely. Well, in fact, I mean, you raise a really good point. I watch a lot of those car shows on TV, you know, the do-up car shows, whether it's classic or, uh, you know, some some of them convert a classic car to an electric car or whatever. And in one of them, they've put in a driver's instrument cluster that is identical to the one that's there in look. But in fact, it's just a flat LCD screen, but it looks exactly like, and I think it was in an old Volvo or, you know, something like that, an old sports car, perhaps but it looked exactly like what was there. So there was no reason why you couldn't press a button, for example, on the centre console and say classic radio. And it brings up a thing that might have a picture of a, of a or a graphic of a radio, might even have a CD slot, you know, and buttons and a readout, you know, something to make you feel like you're in a, a 90s car. That might be a bit of fun. I mean, why not? It's a computer. It can display anything it likes. The instruments, for example, could display a traditional dashboard. My colleague, our good friend Chris, whom you know well from Melbourne, loves Jaguars, has a Jaguar with an old-fashioned radio in it. Well, it is old-fashioned on the outside, got those little press buttons and things on it, but behind the dash, it's all digital. You can have a taco that looks like the old style thing, but is has the modern electronics behind it. Now, a couple of the uh, our reviewers have hopped into cars, like the Honda, which is a bit old fashioned, yet there was almost a familiarity there 
which I think is important. But maybe the point too, when you said you get into a car and it brings up screens, instead of the usual lawyer's stuff to avoid prosecution, it comes up with things like, don't forget, your car has cruise control, but not adaptive cruise control. Mm. It has automatic braking, but not below 40k or above whatever. Just a few little points, or, or even a button that says, press this if you want to understand the, the key features or, or whatever. We're coming better at putting a driver's manual on the screen as well, not to be looked at while you're driving, but to be able to be searched much quicker when you're perhaps sitting there getting used to the car before you take off. Absolutely right. And I think the other thing is that we've, we can't underestimate the importance of voice control. So you don't have to touch a button of any description. But if you were going down the, the road and you were getting a bing, the car's got a microphone. Why can't you say, hey, hmm. whatever the car is, what is this noise? Oh, okay. Really? And it would identify that with an appropriate warning symbol that's in the car. And it might say, because it's got a built-in owner's manual, the problem is you've got to stop to use it. Hmm. And it might say, according to the owner's manual, this is the low washer water warning button or something along those lines. Why can't it do that? It's a computer. It's got a microphone. It's got ears and it's got a mouth. Why can't it speak to you? It might answer you. It is your children in the back who are clearly spoilt and to get your act together. <laughs> now, Volkswagens have quite a lot of voice control, even to the point of put the windows down or change the temperature for the passenger, things like that. Yes, uh, and the Volvo and Polestar equivalent, of course, does the same thing. But one of the discoveries I made was that the Polestar wouldn't wind the windows up and down, which is something that you might want to do, I guess, if you wanted all the windows up or, or whatever, and your switches weren't working for whatever reason. Other than that, I can't think of a reason you'd want to do it. But you can just say, hey, Volkswagen, wind up all the windows, and it'll wind up all the windows. The Hyundai group, you can set it so that it will, for example, close. It uses a smart system to identify a tunnel coming up. It'll close outside air. You can also do that by voice. You can say you close the outside air or turn on recirculate. So there are things where one of your pet hates with these LCD systems is that you have no muscle memory. So you can't reach over for a button. Mm. There's no volume button or there's that. That's one of the things that annoys you when you get into a car. You can't find the damn mute button. That should all be able to be done by voice. And I think that's where, you know, that you could set to start up on very low volume regardless. So that no matter who was in the car before you, that it starts on low volume. To get into a car and it comes up at medium to what it feels like high volume, yes, if I can't hit a button quickly, I'm distressed to start with, and that's not helpful. The Pulsar, which, of course, is the Swedish electric vehicle company, I was driving one up the highway, and for some reason, I think there was a sudden downpour. The screen in front of me on the inside fogged up intensely to the point of great danger. And, you know, I hadn't thought about how the heck do I turn on the demister? Mm. Now, in the old car, you know, it's got a little symbol, square if it's the back demister, and it's sort of got a rounded top if it's the front demister. I didn't know. Now, my wife, of course, who's wonderfully practical, said, wind the windows down. But there was that period of sheer panic. Yeah. 
where I didn't know what to do. You may remember our old uh, our old situations that we used to cope with that, but it was something that I stumbled over and therefore put myself in even more danger. That's right. Well, what there are two things you could have done. You could swipe up from the bottom and that brings up the climate menu on the centre console, or you could just have said, hey, Google, maximum windscreen defrost. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry. Hey, Google, stop. Sorry. Uh, Hey, Google, cancel. I don't know if you could hear that in the background, but it was reading me out. It's brought up this thing on the screen that's very – so in the videos now I I say, hey, Siri, or hey, Google, very, very softly because the commenters would say, my house is now going bananas. And there's a there's a technical show that I watch where they frequently demonstrate home devices and home control. So there's Alexa, Google, Siri, you know, all of those sorts of things. And they might test one brand against another. And if you have more than one brand, then you've got all of the house erupting into, you know, you've got your phone doing something and the home control doing something. It's just incredibly frustrating. Isn't that typically the problem then that, the modern car home situation can do a lot of things for you automatically that you might not want them to do. That's right. The only redeeming feature with the Volkswagen system one time, I tried to say cancel and it said the nearest golf clubs uh, here and here. And I said, no, no, stop. And it, it went back to the same message. And then I uttered a profanity and it said, we are cancelling. But perhaps we need to recognise, we need facial recognition that when you sit in the car, and, and they're talking about doing this, of assessing what sort of mood you're in. David, you're obviously stressed. Let me go through this quietly. Um, let me make sure that <laughs> the radio is down and all the windows are up and uh, the, uh, let me just cool the car for a moment. I need a psychologist to develop the system. But, David, your car would always be doing that in that case. (laughs) It'd be saying, let me play some ambient music. We'll turn on the seat massage and we'll gently cool to a comfortable 20 degrees. It'd be saying, yes, things like, no, David, we're not going to leave. I can't do that, David, (laughs) until you calm down. So in the Polestar, you can't say, hey, Polestar. You have to say, hey, and that word. And it will then do the function, so change the air conditioning or whatever. But it will also control the stuff I've got at home. So if I said turn dining light on, that's what it'll do. Or turn family room TV off, that's what it will do. But I may not want that to happen. I, you know, I mean, that's the, the instructions are fairly specific. But if I don't want to control something outside the car, I don't have any control over that. I might just be saying that to someone, for example, I might be saying that to a passenger that I can say, hey, and that name, turn off family room TV and you and I could be in the car and my partner could be at home and all of a sudden the TV turns off. You know the joke that has a car that will do all that. If you want to get music, you might say, I'd like some music from Willie, please. And they say, do you mean Willie Nelson or Willie someone else? I'd like some Classical music, do you mean Bach or do you mean Beethoven and that? Mm. And then someone pulls in front of you and you call them an an idiot or with an expletive in there and they say, which politician do you want? (laughs) 
and you'd be pretty much right on the money, I'd say. But look, I think in this case, David, cars have gotten very, very smart. And I I disagree with some commentators saying that it's making drivers lazy. I don't think it is. But I do think that with the likes of lane warning and lane departure and smart cruise control and that kind of thing, that you're right, you should know what your car's capable of. And especially when it comes to voice control, you want to be very, very careful because in some of them, it can turn some of those things off as well. Yeah. So, for example, you know, I wanted to turn the lane control on and I said that to one of the cars and it turned it on for me. But I don't want to accidentally turn it off. Yes, totally agree. Alan, always good to talk to you. I appreciate your time greatly. Thank you very much. Thanks, David, as always. And that's Alan Zervis from GayCarboys.com, who has a wonderful perception about driving a car, not just in terms of the old revhead reviewer, but in terms of the modern person adapting with the human-machine interface. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to Alan Zervis, Sharon Thompson, Alan Finlay and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or you can leave a message by ringing in at 028003 or send us an email at feedback at drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.